So, welcome everyone. This is the first episode of The Doors of Psychedemia. It's a podcast circling and about psychedelic science and the culture within psychedelic science and what that actually looks like to be inside of it. There's a lot of fascinating people that I'd like to interview and get their insight on what the field is like. Um, me, myself, got into this field of research because I read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, and... There was a part of it that mentioned Dr. Peter Hendricks um, here at UAB, and he was writing about different mechanisms of awe and the psychedelic experience. And that basically made me want to go to college in the first place. And so I literally only applied to UAB, and I got here. And within the first two weeks, I saw Peter in the gym, and I walked up <laughs> to him, and I basically just had a conversation with him about psychedelic science, and he invited me to come to the lab. And there was a bit of a hiatus between me being there and actually doing, doing the things that I do now there. Um, but whenever I went back, just for context, I was a very clueless person, um, <laughs> more so than I am now, which is astonishing to me. But I had went in there and I was talking about trying to do a clinical trial with giving psilocybin to Alzheimer's patients, which I think just speaks to how much I didn't know about the nature of psychedelic science. And part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast, because I think it's a growing interest within our culture and within the just just the general population. And I think it's a good insight for people to have if it's something that they're interested in. And today I have... UAB's very own Haley Duran, who is a graduate student in Peter's lab and is doing all sorts of really, really cool research there. And I was going to ask her about her different experiences in there. So, Haley, if you wouldn't mind, what drew you to psychedelic science? What got you started in your, your field and your research? So I think if I could pinpoint it to one like exact instance where I was like, oh, I need or at least where I became initially interested in psychedelic science was um, I stumbled onto some article in Scientific American <laughs> way back in 2016 that was about um, the DMN or the default mode network and ego dissolution. I mean, like it showed these stunning images with the brain completely like lit up and activated right. and high school me was like, whoa, <laughs> wow, this is, this is insane. Um, <coughs> So that kind of planted the seed in my mind that this is something that's interesting and, you know, is out there. And I initially wanted to do, like, very basic science research in, like, antibiotics or something like that. But that doesn't have the human element that psychedelics have in it. And I guess one thing about me is I'm very drawn to multidisciplinary topics um, in psychedelics that... It's all over the place. I'm learning, like, neuroscience stuff, um, you know, psychology, relating it to public health, and that multidisciplinary nature is just, like, I love that. And secondarily, or I guess kind of most crucially, actually, is just that the field is so wide open. It oftentimes feels to me as if this is, like, I don't know, a space race or something. Like, it's just everybody's very excited, and there's so much innovation happening so rapidly and anything you do has the potential to make a large impact in the whole trajectory of the field and it's not like that in other um, 
parts of psychology or neuroscience where there's been a lot of work done for years and years. Um, this, it's like opening up a time capsule and, I don't know, just trying to bring modern methods and ideas into this field. Um, yeah, it's very exciting to me. Oh, it, I, I think that's also a very fascinating point about it and that it, it seems like, at least for as far as I'm aware, the, I guess, oncoming of psychedelic research is something that a lot of people are very excited about, especially now that we have a lot more tools to be able to work with. Because I think, you know, whenever the first wave of psychedelic research was happening, we didn't have things like fMRIs. We didn't have things to be able to take brain imaging. And another thing that um, you had mentioned that I think is also very fascinating is a lot of people that I asked this question to and a lot of people that I have this conversation with about what got them into psychedelic science, a lot of them talk about that that multidisciplinary of the, the, the multidisciplinary nature of psychedelic science. And that's something for me that draws a very, very strong appeal because I honestly, I had little to no scientific interest before <laughs> stumbling upon this very specific discipline. I thought, I thought psychology was was interesting in in some merit not entirely on the scientific aspect I, for a lot of You're people would know I, like, <laughs> I, I very much ascribe to psychoanalysis which some people have <laughs> problems with and disagree with scientifically but it, it you know that for me speaks to the point that I didn't have much of a scientific interest until I came to this until I found this and now it seems like it it spring just so much fascination that I have and a deep-rooted respect that I have for the brain and the mind and psychology and along with a lot of philosophy that comes with the, the field itself. Um, but straying away from that, what is a day-to-day experience like in a for a graduate student studying psychedelics? This is so important for people who, <laughs> who, who read Michael Pollan's book or who watch a Netflix documentary and or see like any study out and they're like, whoa, oh my God, this is incredible, wow. Um, it, it is very fascinating on the, like, the day-to-day basis, but also it's a tremendous amount of work and dedication. So like yesterday, I, like for example, I was trying to program an fMRI stimulus, um, spent the morning doing that, and then it was like, oh, uh, Peter was like, you got to work on this topic um, and write a proposal. So I spent like the rest of the day writing this thing, just looking up references, trying to learn a bunch about it. And it's like the work you would do in any other academic field. It's not all that glamorous. Um, and people need to realize that, that it's getting deep into the scientific literature, into the methodology, um, and learning like analysis techniques, learning to code. It's a lot of work, and people who just hear about it and get interested in it because it's cool, um, think about, think carefully about if you really would love spending literally all day (laughs) (laughs) writing research proposals. No, I, I think that they're definitely, I mean, like any vocation. I mean, I love it, but. No, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, I don't, there, there's nothing else that I could see you doing other than, the, like, you know, this is like your your calling. But I, I do think that that's true for almost any vocation, though, is that, you know, there's just a lot of parts about it that aren't as glamorous and aren't as, you know, I guess exciting as that, that 
New York Times article that you might read about the magic mushroom or something like that, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, spending spending hours trying to, like, debug code and r randomly, like, learn Python right. on the spot. It's like I could be studying something, like, very basic, like, visual perception right. that is not interesting, or yeah. at least not interesting to me. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah. So if you want to go into this field, ask yourself if you would be kind of comfortable in another discipline of psychology and neuroscience. And, like, if you're not, then you might not like it that much. No, definitely. I, I think it's particularly important in a time where it seems like the, the field of psychedelic science is relatively young. Mm -hmm. And so there's just, uh, it feels like what a lot of, uh, you know, groundwork is being laid down. And I think that's a particularly grueling process. <laughs> um but, you know, going off of that, how has your perception of psychedelic science changed since becoming a graduate student that's actually working in this field? Oh, man. Um, so when you're just learning about this stuff from a lay perspective and you're reading all these exciting, like, articles in Scientific American or whatnot and Michael Pollan. Why do I keep saying Michael Pollan? Well, you, you, you <laughs> it's know. because I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, reading this exciting stuff, it makes it seem like there's a lot of certainty as to how psychedelics work um, and, like, how therapeutic they actually are. And there's so much we still don't know. Right. There is more that we are uncertain about than certain about. And the deeper I get into the field, the more I'm like, well, we don't know what's going on at all. Right. Um, so. <laughs> right. And, right. yeah, I mean, just recognizing a lot of these studies are done in very small samples. Right. Um, and, yeah, it's just... The field is wide open still. Well, isn't that part of the thrill of it, though? It is. I love yeah. it. I love it. But You solve one problem or you answer one question, you get ten new questions that, story that of my come life. of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. Is there... So, is there anything that has been unforeseen as far as being a graduate student, you know, researching these things... Um, hmm. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah, I guess, like, the fact that so little is actually known, and a lot of times that it really feels like you are having to carve out your own sort of path and reliance, like, like just, I don't know, kind of make stuff up yeah. as you go along. <laughs> Trust like, <yourself>. Yeah, you <laughs> just got to... Yeah, I just, I did not expect that. And that's one one thing I would say to, like, people wanting to jump into this right away is it does, it, it, it has a degree of openness where you really just have to learn to be comfortable just going out in right. a new direction right? and being okay with that. Um, that seems like the, the heart of science. <laughs> it is. Especially in a young field like this yes. one. I'd, have you found yourself making any... I'm sure you have, but what what mistakes have you found that you've made? Although I'm sure that you've you've done a lot of. I've seen you do a lot of things right and do a lot of things that I can't. I am curious personally as far as things that you've done that you maybe regret or things that you've just yourself considered mistakes. So, I well, this is not exactly a mistake, but this is well, I guess it kind of is. I wish I had learned to code a lot sooner. If you want to be in neuroimaging or like any part, any 
aspect of psychology where there's a lot of data analysts um, getting, you know, some basic skills in Python and R, like, right away, um, I think that will help you tremendously. Right. Um, another thing, too, is initially, or, I mean, still to an extent, but I was just so excited about <laughs> being in psychedelic science. I was like, I want to do this project and this project right. and this project yep. and everything all at once. And it's like you have to recognize that you are a person and you can only do so yeah. much at once. Right. And learning to say no sometimes and to try to prioritize um, kind of what is potentially the most impactful. And what I mean by that is, um, at least in grad school, what sort of projects will help you learn the skills you want um, going forward in your career is kind of how I've decided what projects to right. eliminate. So, yeah, I mean, going going after the hard stuff is probably the best. Yeah, yeah. No, I could, I could definitely see that being the most, you know, I guess rewarding thing is if you go after that that publication or that theory that's just <laughs> that just consumes so much of you which i know that you've had that experience before oh yeah i've, I've seen it <laughs> i've seen it wilt away it wilt you away <laughs> but it is you know at the end of the day it is something that i think is a it's a very noble thing and a very respectable thing for a lot of people that are you know obviously i, I have a particular bias towards psychedelic sciences but just you know in, in different disciplines too um you know, going after those things that are difficult, going after those things that, that consume a lot of you and take a lot out of you, I think are, you know, very, very, very noble things to be able to go after. Um, what would you say is the number one skill that got you to where you are now? Because from my understanding of it is Peter's graduate program is not exactly the easiest thing to get into. Um, what is it? Is it is it the only graduate program in that that offers a course in psychedelic science? Um, well, when I was looking for graduate schools, I'll just say this. Um, I was literally, like, going to every single, like, conference I could find, emailing people a neurotic amount, asking right. them to take yeah. me into <laughs> programs, like, starting, like, 2017. Um, yeah. So, and, yeah, I started in 2020. But at the time... Um, Peter's lab, the Drug Use and Behavior Lab, was the only um, graduate program in the U.S. taking um, right. students. So, but what would I say actually got me into this position? Well, I met Peter actually um, after one of his talks. Right. And I just went up to him and started, like, like just assaulting him with all these right. research <laughs> ideas I had. I was like, I want to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And he was right. like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> like, calm down. And I have this new, like, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, man, it was – so I think, for me, a big thing is um, trying to come up with novel ideas and sort of weird questions that people aren't focusing a lot in psychedelic science. Right. Um, so new perspectives um, – trying to pull things from other fields because as we've established psychedelic science is not established so right. fields like um psychosis research there's so much that's like innovative um methodol uh with methods and stuff that is just not being found in psychedelics so kind of being able to cross-pollinate ideas that are occurring in different fields um and not being afraid to go after completely 
crazy ideas, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, yeah, all right, I'll go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it almost seems like, which, you know, I, correct me if, if you think differently, but it almost seems like we're in a position where there's no bad ideas. <laughs> like, where you almost uh. <laughs> can't, you know, there's, there's just a lot going on. <laughs> it seems like there's... It's hard to do wrong whenever you don't know what you know what what exactly the direction that we're supposed to be going in is. Um, do you have any specific examples about you know like what you've talked about of I guess crossing disciplines and you know feeding disciplines into psychedelic science to try to get some different perspectives in here? Um, so as I mentioned, I get a lot of ideas from work that has gone on in psychosis research. In undergraduate, I was a research assistant in a psychosis lab initially because I just wanted to get experience with fMRI because that is like the tool of psychedelic neuroscience, it seems. Right. So I was like, I'll be in any lab um, to do fMRI work. And it ended up being a psychosis lab. And I learned quite a bit um, about kind of like novel theories, of, or not novel, but their kind of perspectives on psychosis studies, perspectives on how, like, the self is altered with that, um, and different neuroimaging techniques that are not being applied in psychedelics right now. And all, there's so many questions, or so much has been, like, studied with psychosis. It's one of the problem most studied um, disorders in psychology. So you can learn quite a bit from seeing what they've done over years and just right. being like, okay, I'll do that for psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> would you say that, I guess, body of knowledge is what you would draw from the most? Yes, and I like positive psychology a lot, just plain positive psychology. There, right. There's a lot of interesting um, theories um, that I think could be potentially helpful for understanding how psychedelics can improve people's well-being long-term yeah. um, and just like research with meditation, um, creativity, just I, a big thing I would recommend to people is if you love psychedelics, try to read as much as you can outside of psychedelics right. and then apply it into psychedelics. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I encountered too and I would I would also give the same advice from of, of my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> Like, I thought I knew a lot because I had read, you know, obviously I didn't just read Michael Pollan's book, but I had taken very, very strenuous notes from that book and had studied it probably way more than I should have and studied it way more than anything that I was actually taking in high school. Um, and I came to Peter's lab to find out that I knew nothing. And so I think that that's a, you know, a, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but I, I think that it, I would definitely agree with that. There's a... There, there's a lot of things that I feel like you can do to, I guess, educate yourself on it. Um, but honestly, I think that I've learned more from having conversations with you and the other graduate students and Peter about this field and about, you know, the science behind psychedelics. Just through sheer conversations with you guys, I feel like I've, I've learned so much through that. Um, obviously, reading has its own benefits, but it seems like being kept up and being on you know what the actual cutting edge of the field is 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 very benefited from having conversations with you guys which i guess segues into this next question that i have for you um i think that you you briefly touched on it but is there any attitude mindset philosophy that has helped you get to where you are and what about if you have any soft skills that you say you'd have 
Um, so yeah, I guess the the aspect of trying to go after um, things that have not been discussed and mentioned in that cross-disciplinary um, kind of nature, that, that helps a lot, but um, also I would say it's a lot of, in terms of attitudes, you just have to be insanely persistent to the point it's it's or it's it's very um ridiculous um and um i would say being as i mentioned earlier just being willing to do the hard stuff um and especially going after it if it feels difficult if it feels like you're like stupid trying to learn it it's probably probably helping you a tremendous amount um And in terms of, like, soft skills that have gotten me where I am or have been helpful, I would say being able to communicate um, to lay audiences. And I don't know, in undergrad, I was um, doing a lot of talks for a psychedelic society, Psy Atlanta. um, And being able to convey research um, to a general audience, I think, is a very important skill. And, I mean, like we've mentioned we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all the science communication that has happened around psychedelic science. So I right. really think that's an important thing. And I think when you try to simplify your ideas to the point where a general audience can understand them, you might glean a new perspective from that that can inspire future research ideas, which is always helpful and nice. No, definitely. I mean, it definitely makes it easier to communicate about the things that we're dealing with that you know at times get a little complicated you know? <laughs> they get they get a little complex here and then and i think being able to you know have that communicative ability to talk about these things you know in, in layman's terms with having general conversations like i know whenever i talk to my mom a lot i i always you know try to make it a big point to not like use any super technical terms because there's a lot of really technical things that i feel like are used just in science in general, but specifically whenever you're dealing with things, neuroscience and psychology and, you know, in a field that blends both of those things um, very, very intimately. It's very important to be able to do that. And I think you have a very, very good way of doing that. I mean, I know you've talked about the talks that you've done. Um, you've, you've told me extensively about them. Have you had a favorite talk that you've done so far? Have you had a one that's just stood out to you a little bit? Oh, man, I, I haven't given a, a talk in a, quite a while, but yeah. I would say... Um, Till now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last one I did live, I believe, um, was called Madness and Mysticism, and it was looking at the, mm. the similarities between um, psychotic states and psychedelic-induced states, um, right. both from a neurological and phenomenological or su- subjective perspective, and... Yeah, I really liked that, but I'll be doing another one yeah. <laughs> soon. So, yeah, if you guys feel uh, feel driven to come to Arizona to watch <laughs> or to hear <laughs> to hear a talk, um, man, I feel bad because there's so many interesting things that I feel like we've brought up but haven't had the you know opportunity to talk about them. The, the I guess the course of this is more just getting an insight on what it looks like to actually be in the field. Um, but that is something that I think would be a really cool thing to talk about, um, at least, you know, the up- upcoming episodes. What, for you, has been the biggest struggle of grad school? Um, I would say trying to be balanced in some respect, because, like, this, like, as I mentioned earlier, I was just, like, 
in undergrad, like reading PubMed articles for right. fun and creating yeah. these crazy like long talks and being like, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is cool. And it's like when you are, when this becomes your life, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's God. like, it's like you can, it's like a buffet of everything you, you've always wanted, but right. learning that, okay, I need, I need to calm down sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because after a certain point, it just becomes not helpful. So right. lear- learning to um, to take breaks is very beneficial. Yes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, trusting one's own ideas and not getting um, so worried about critiquing them that it's just, like, a loop of trying to be a perfectionist or something that it's just it's not helpful after a certain point so just sometimes you got to put ideas out there and they get killed oh well (laughs) (laughs) you grieve and move on um was there was there a specific time in your I guess undergrad or grad career that um you I guess had to really take a step back from that perfectionist mindset because I know I've, I've seen you whenever you're in work mode and you're hyper focus you've got this like laser focus on whatever you're doing and it's like makes it hard to believe that you aren't a perfectionist you know like I just <laughs> I like I know how seriously you take these things so was, was there a specific time that you kind of came to that realization for yourself um so I guess it, it was writing that um uh, very large paper which is currently under review and right getting to the point where I was just like, I have so many more ideas I could be answering. There's this problem and this problem and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, at at some point, you need to say, okay, this is the work and the world is going to react to it however they will. Um, And like when designing studies, no study is perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of had like the idea that I want to make this study like the ideal study. and everything, and it's just like, well, that's not going to happen. There's always flaws. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I it, mean, try, trying your best, but a- after a certain point, there's diminishing returns. <laughs> it almost seems like a point of, I guess, being able to stay on task or being focused to what your your end goal is, which I think is particularly hard in, in, this, in this space in psychedelic science. Because there's just so many fascinating things about it. There's so many places where it's so easy to, you know, be looking for one thing. Or I know I've caught myself on PubMed before where I'm looking for one thing and all of a sudden I'm reading something completely different because it's just caught my eye. I love doing that. I think that's helpful. And I think that's like probably like if you're an undergrad or like, I I don't know, anybody who really wants to go in this field, just have fun on PubMed. Like it's it's fun. Yeah. there's so much out there, and I think it's good to have times like that where you're just playing with ideas, and, you know, it, it'll, it'll help you be more creative later on. But don't right. don't worry about covering every single thing that could be potentially brought up in, like, a paper or right. whatnot. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good thing just for, you know, life in general. Just just <laughs> do, what, do, what, do what you like to do, and if this is what you like to do, then, you know, as Haley said, tread with caution. But <laughs> No, I, I would agree with that, though. I would agree with that. Um, do you have any, I guess, specific recommendations other than, you know, surfing PubMed as far as <laughs> what 
people could do to be able to, I guess, get closer to be able to get into this field and this space? So, as we've mentioned before, there are like hardly any universities really researching this. Right. There, there's a lot more. Um, Shout out UAB. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say a lot of times, like, you just have to make your own opportunities. Yeah. So, like, if you want to start doing research, take the initiative and try to figure out how to make that happen. Try right. to figure out how to do a survey study or, like, an interview study or what, whatever you can do. Try to find somebody who will help support you do that and just get going. Right. Um, that's a big thing. Um, and I would say, um, at least for me in undergrad, I did a lot of, like, community kind of engagement stuff with, mm-hmm. like, Students for Sensible Drug Policy um, and, like, the Psychedelic Organization in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of value um, from working in that regard, too, from like volunteering with harm reduction organizations like Zendo, um, Dance Safe, right. um, anything you can do to get connected to people in the field because it's very hard to, to figure out your, your way in and it really, yeah, yeah you got to know people. Well, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I know you've spoken to me before about how your, your course of study as an undergrad was non-traditional, I guess you could say, where you had at least you know, taking some classes that you didn't necessarily need to take but wanted to take just out of the curiosity of them. Because I know you have told me before that you took a lot of, like, graduate-level classes as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could say just a couple things about that. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess one thing, I, I chose psychology as my degree just because it was the most flexible, even though right. I was really, like, a neuroscience person. I just did not want to take organic chemistry, um, physics, yeah. all this stuff, because I couldn't <laughs> see the application to any question I wanted to answer. So I was like, right. no. So I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the classes I'm interested in. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, if you ask to be in a graduate level class, professors will say yes. So right. I just took um, the neuroscience classes that I found interesting, the psychology and um, a lot of philosophy classes as well, which I think were probably the best Um, courses I took in undergrad because they taught me how to really write which Mm -hmm. I think is a huge skill in science Um, if you can write things then you can publish things like I don't know the idea behind that Um, it's like the main form of communication (laughs) yeah so I mean yeah the philosophy classes were probably the best Um, I I regret not having taken any programming classes though I will I will say (laughs) that that is like if you like, oh, man. It um, always comes back to the <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see, what was, else? Was there any philosophy classes that stood out to you as far as, because I know you've talked a lot about, you know, that being able to help you learn how to write, mm-hmm. which I can, I can definitely see that correlation. Um, but was there any philosophy classes that stood out to you as far as the ideas that you guys were, were messing with in, in the class? I'm not sure if it was the ideas or just kind of like, the structure of the mm. arguments being made. I know that sounds weird, but um, I took philosophy of cognitive science, um, and it, it was all about um, Jerry Fodor's ideas of the modularity of the mind and kind of um, how we process information based on these like encapsulated modules and like all like a lot of people don't really follow like that theory anymore, but. The, the point of the class was how do you make kind of like 
a strong cognitive science like theory essentially so right. we read his book and like broke down how he did it and I found that very illuminating and um, I probably learned how to think more in that class than any right. other class I took. Do you remember specifically what that what that looked like as far as what what he talked about and I guess if, if there's some correlation between that and here's how you approach things now. I don't remember. <laughs> 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 it was a long time ago. <laughs> I, mean, I was a junior in undergrad, so yeah, yeah I, don't, no. I don't remember. No, I understand that. I understand that. Well, what about like the the neuroscience classes, um, or anything in in those regards? Like, just I guess any. Was there any class that you took that I guess like sparked something in you, or I guess kind of changed your your perception on? on maybe science or what you wanted to do in, in the field? I would say you're putting way too much weight on classes. That's I, fair. I, I think, That's fair. I think, That's I fair. think everybody, um, <laughs> classes don't matter as much as you think. You could get a degree in anything you want, and if you're getting research experience, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. No, you're right. I, I learned most in undergrad from doing the talks, actually, of all things, mm -hmm. and and being a research assistant, I would say, but yeah. but I was not. Um, you, Dan, Danny has had the opportunity to really, really see what um, academia is like with his yes. um, <laughs> research assistantship. In mine, it was more like, oh, we're gonna put people in the fMRI, right? And help them out. So. Which I I think is obviously you know to some degree or another valuable information. No. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that I have yet will soon learn, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think that um, I think that you're right, though. Um, honestly, there's not a whole lot that I feel like, and forgive me to all my professors because I love all my professors, all my specifically my neuroscience professors. Um, you know who you are, but <laughs> I I have felt like I've learned so much from just being in the lab and doing hands-on experience and being able to just be in the environment where I'm actually interacting with data and data if you will whichever one you want to use <laughs> you know interacting with the information itself um which I obviously feel very indebted like I feel like I have a such a good opportunity here that I know <laughs> a lot of people including you um all, all the graduate students I've talked to in the lab have said that, you know, like I'm in a golden position where I can be a research assistant in a lab that's, you know, doing research with with psychedelic science, which obviously I feel I feel very indebted to. <laughs> um, what, what, how has it been different for you than what you expected, the research process? <laughs> because I imagine a bunch of people want to be in your position. Yeah. But, like, what no. is it like? It's, I would say it's, it's similar to what you had described initially. Um, it, you know, I, I obviously love what I do and I understand, you know, the importance of it, but it is, it is grueling. I've spent seven hours making citations yesterday. Um, it is, it is, you know, it's grueling and there's a lot of, you know, little tedious things that go into it, but it, it is just a, I don't know. I mean, for me, it feels nice to be able to be able to do it because it was it is what I came to college to do <laughs> and it is what I you know ultimately decided that I would want to do something with you know for the rest of my life um 
you know, assuming things going to go to plan, I honestly don't know if I had any preconception of what it should be, though, <laughs> or of what it would have looked like. I think that because I know I know Peter jokes a lot about people assuming that the lab looks like some shamanic temple where there's, you know, <laughs> we're doing yoga and sitting around in a circle and meditating. Um, that's not what that's I do. <laughs> Very anti-psychedelic, a lot of stress and anxiety. <laughs> I mean, eh. <laughs> a um, lot of writing. Yeah. A lot of writing. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if I even had a, a preconception to begin with. I, I wouldn't say that I went as far as to think is like, you know, that's, that's what it was, that it was us, you know, sitting around in a circle doing shamanic rituals and <laughs> just, which is kind of funny to talk about. Cause a lot of my friends that I tell, um, that I talk about like the kind of research I do, they're like, Oh, so like, do you, do you do it like in the lab? And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> I'm like that's, that's it, not, it, it's funny because I remember like one of the first roommates I had here, I told them like, Oh, I'm going to grad school to study psychedelics blah yeah. blah, and they're like, that doesn't sound like a real job. Yeah. Right. It it's took, like, mm. it took, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I do think it, it took a little bit to <laughs> to you know really convey it to my folks about <laughs> what, I, <laughs> what I wanted to do because I think initially and you know I love I I really do love my mom but the I think the first time that I told her that I wanted to do research with like you know LSD and psilocybin and she all she heard was drugs she was like she was like oh you want to do drugs for the rest of your life I'm like no mom like. <laughs> That's 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 not that's not what I want to do. I mean, we barely even see people on drugs. No, yeah, that's true. That is uh, very like true. Like it, it rarely happens. Like I actually don't like um, doing therapeutic work. I like doing the data analysis yeah. and the writing aspect. Um, right. And like even if I was doing an fMRI study where I was like administering it to people, um, that would happen for like thirty people max. And yeah, and then you'll spend like a year. Or more analyzing the data. Right. So. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's an interesting conversation that I've had with Peter, where he's talking about, you know, what he thinks the the, the tra trajectory, tra Jesus Christ, trajectory of that is. Um, but yeah, no, we really don't interact with that many people that are on drugs. Like it just <laughs> it 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 doesn't happen. I, I'm sure it happens more frequently for you as an actual graduate student, but as a as a research assistant it, it doesn't happen very frequently <laughs> um i do think that that was one thing that i did assume about the lab mm -hmm. and i did assume about the research was that there would be more interaction with the the one-on-one -on -one, um with the patients that are actually you know going through the trials and receiving the psychedelic assisted therapy but um i, I think that there were a lot of welcome surprises though <laughs> like what just a lot of, um, I think the amount of data that I handle and the amount of, you know, information that I am, like, presented with, like, with the diphenhydramine paper that we're, we're finally getting a, a, a finished. Two papers. Yeah, the right. diphenhydramine papers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a whole episode in and of itself. <laughs> oh, man, is it a story? Yeah. Don't take Benadryl more than you should. <laughs> <laughs> warning, warning. <laughs> No, seriously. But like th things like that, um, I, I don't think I expected to be handling that much data. And um, just talking to a lot of the people that had done research before, they weren't exactly interacting with that data. You know, they mm -hmm. were doing the different things, um, 
which a lot of my friends are doing more, you know, bench work type of research and you know they're doing the titrations or doing the reactions or you know mixing chemicals and whatnot so they don't actually interact with the data itself and so i think that was one of the things that did surprise me was that there was you know it it, it almost feels like you guys have more confidence in me than i do myself because you guys will like hand me a plate of information and like you like you got it you know i mean that's <laughs> what happened to me in blind coming here he's like okay yeah. you're here yeah let's go no i and i'm not complaining about it you know it, it, it's i mean that's one of the I don't know if it's psychedelic science or our lab, but it's just like, let's go. Right. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. This is very, very hardworking individuals there. Um, I, you know, it, it probably is elsewhere in other fields, but I think a lot of people feel a sense of urgency mm-hmm. in, in the in The, the trajectory science. being so critical. Right. Yeah. And being able to, you know, just, just get these things out and be able to, you know, do some good in the world, hopefully. <laughs> and that's the idea. That's the end goal. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, one last question that I had for you was for people that are interested in this and people that want to know more, was there any books that you would recommend them reading? Okay, so I'm going to recommend non-psychedelic books because that has been a, an emphasis on <laughs> um, <laughs> Madness and Modernism by Louis Sass. Um, that is a very, very um, detailed account of kind of the disruptions to people's sense of self um, Mm. that occurs in psychosis that is, like, the most detailed, complex, like, rich book I've read, like, ever um, as a psychological kind of theory book. Um, Yeah, it taught me a tremendous amount. And then kind of for being able to handle psychedelia, (laughs) um, (laughs) I would say Deep Work by Cal Newport. It's kind of, um, I actually gave it to all the the research assistants because I thought it was so excellent. But the idea behind that book is just like, how can you really kind of maximize your productivity through being very focused um, with your work and picking picking the hard problems kind of. um, And... Lastly, Essentialism. Um, that book is about basically learning how to say no and how to focus on really the really most pressing <laughs> task at hand, which is essential right, um, right. <laughs> in this field. And it's by Greg Mc- McKeown? Yeah. Okay, cool. The first, Madness and Modernism, is by Lewis Sass, just in case anyone was interested. And Deep Work was by Cal Newport. That uh, that deep work book is life changing. Right? <laughs> it is. It is. I I didn't think that I had the capacity to be as productive as I um as I, I am now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it all comes like it's like the Pompadour kind of method, but yeah. longer. Like just create ninety minute blocks of right. writing, yeah. and like literally put a timer on your phone and just write. Right. And you can't like get up. You can't do anything. It's right. just like time to focus. Just get into that flow state. <laughs> it's. Uh, yeah, it's magic. It is. It is a very interesting book. Um, yeah, those are all good though. Um, I'd be excited to see if anyone would, you know, recommend us a book that we can read and talk about and try to you Ooh, know, digest. I like, that. I like that. Um, with that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and shout out our Twitter. Um, you can obviously follow us, and I hope that you do at the Doors of Psychedemia um, on Twitter. And if you guys have any questions or anything that you want us to talk about specifically, you can either direct message, you can tweet at us, you can do whatever you whatever you deem necessary to get our attention. <laughs> um, that, that goes for anything. I mean, if you guys have a book that you guys want us to, to read and talk about and digest, um, I would be more than happy to do that. I mean, we have 
you know, I wouldn't say we have loads of time, but you know, we can we can find time to be able to do it. Also, um, I'm gonna shout out another organization that uh, we we have here at UAB. Um, we started with the help of Dan Grossman and uh, Itmar from our our medical school. Uh, the Psychedelic Studies Forum, where we have different speakers come and talk about you know the what they do and what their what their specificity is in the field of psychedelic science. Um, you can also follow that Twitter on um, at the Psychedelic Studies Forum. Um, and, you know, just, you know, if you guys have any interest in this whatsoever, I just want it to be known that this is a space at UAB and this is something that, you know, I think is a... a a conversation that is starting to be had at this university and it's, for me it's something that's very exciting and i think a lot of people would feel the same way and if you do you know give us a shout out hit us up you know the deal i'll see you guys next time <laughs> thank you Haley. <laughs> <laughs>